can't believe you two took that raving lunatic seriously. What do you think this is? <laughs> Your hot take. I want to know what, are, hot what take, are your things. My hot take. I would say that my hot take is going into 2019. If I'm writing React, I'm not using anything other than Gatsby. How's that for a hot take? Get your get your Create React app out of here. Hmm. There's lots of things that Gatsby does wrong. This is true, but there's a lots of things. <laughs> a lot of things that's wrong, and that's why it's a hot take. Because why would you? Why would someone like myself? profess undying loyalty to something that has so many holes in it. Yeah. I mean, I think I really do like Gatsby, but I think that some of the things that it, it does wrong are related to the, its core premise. Like it, it's not like a one-stop shop for any kind of website because of the things that it does to cache things and create the single, the, the static website type stuff. Right. It's too prevalent in it. You can't disable the static part and just have like a website that works really well with the tools that it has. The other thing that it does that I really, 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 really hate, if I can add more reallys, yeah, is that it hides Webpack from you. It configures a lot of things for you and then just like doesn't allow you to, it, it'll, you can modify it, but it's like you need like a PhD in Webpack to like be able to, because you basically like it, it gives you one of the things it gives you kind of like create react app is it gives you the ability to compile all kinds of CSS. Right. It's like predefined. It has like SAS, less uh, CSS, and it figures it out based on the extension and does all that stuff. Yeah. But if you want to change like anything about the way that CSS is compiled, you have to either load a library or a plugin for Gatsby that changes the way that it works, or you have to completely rewrite the, the loaders like from scratch. You have to rewrite them all. You can't just like, and this is not necessarily its fault. It's more just Webpack's fault, but you can't like go into it and say, like, if you're trying to iterate over a Webpack config, it'll say like, you know, config dot loaders dot, and then it's an array. So then yeah. you have to say like the one where CSS is applied, but it's a one of, it's like a, it's like a, a set of loaders. And then it picks the one that most matches. But if you're dealing with SAS, you can't be like, well, if you're only writing in SAS, you can't be like, well, I want to take that SAS loader and change one piece of the config as easily because it's inside of this nested object. There's like certain things that you can do that you can kind of customize. But most of the, the from what I've noticed is you basically just have to completely replace it. Yeah. So it's interesting you bring this up because I think that that's actually one of the strengths of Gatsby is that it gets Webpack out of my way so I can actually do stuff. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the stuff in, in the version two, which came out recently, which came out in, I want to say September, like fully done, came out, fully baked, came out in September. Uh, takes care of a lot of that stuff for you. So things like CSS modules is built in out of the box. You don't actually have to install anything to do it. Stuff yeah. like CSS, uh, SAS support. Uh, there's not like some crazy post CSS config they have to put in or anything like that. It all just works out of the box. So like uh, when you and I were working on projects together, we had kind of a, a little Gatsby config that we built that we kind of started a couple projects with mm -hmm. and I basically went and recreated that little starter from scratch in version two 
and it was actually much cleaner and much simpler. There was a lot less stuff for me to install in order to get there. And so for that reason, I enjoy it quite a bit. I get, I get the point that you're making in terms of if I have to go into Webpack and do something crazy, then it makes it a little bit harder. But the Gatsby plugin ecosystem at this point has gotten really, really good and has a lot of different scenarios and situations covered for you. And you can all just, you can fill all that stuff in, in the, in the Gatsby config and takes care of a lot of it. If you do have some, some one-off scenario where you're using some crazy CSS setup for your react and it's kind of all over the place, then, then you're going to have a bad time. But I think that the defaults with it come with defaults that it comes with out of the box are pretty sane for a lot of use cases and i think it works really well for that yeah i mean the things that i've had problems with it are like even even a project i'm working on right now uh i have like a particular requirement from a client to have gatsby live in a folder so it has it can't be like just the root of a website which is what they typically expect it to be because yeah. it's a static site so it'll just be on the domain whatever but and i've seen this a lot with other libraries too like Laravel had this problem really early on where it couldn't, it was harder to get it to run from a folder because of the way they've done the configuration about right. how it loads assets and things, it assumes it's at the root. They kind of fixed that. But then in Gatsby, they they allow you to define this thing called a path prefix. Yeah. And you can say that like this thing lives inside of a folder called slash cats. And then it will internally understand that it's going to, it's not that it makes the assets in a folder called slash cats. It's that there's this like webpack manifest that they use for the, um, what is it called? What's that, that term? The, oh man, the, when things like run as like an app to put the service workers and all that progressive web app. Yes. The PWA part of it. Yeah. That thing, they have the webpack manifest in there that tells the PWA where all the assets are. And that's actually how the paths are referenced. So if you ask the app for like a, like a file, it'll say, okay, this is, this file is in website slash cats. Cause that was our prefix slash CSS, like something.css. Right. But it, that file actually just exists in the root of the Gatsby site, but it makes it appear as if it's in a folder, but it also will work if you put it in a folder. So if you say like, I think actually if you don't put it in a folder, it won't work. But on your like Nginx host, you put it inside of a folder called cats and then everything will work correctly because when the assets are referenced, they'll still be sitting right next to the index and the index.html, but they'll know to call for more assets within that folder. Right, the relative paths stay correct, but it just it yeah. just prefixes everything so that it knows relative to the actual yeah. server itself. Where so there's is. like that part was a really, really big pain to work with because it doesn't work in CSS. So anytime that you load like an asset as a background image or a font and it's referenced inside of non, not CSS and JS, like if it's in the index.js file or JSX, it will work because there's this like, there's this helper in Gatsby called with prefix and it'll basically prefix the asset. Yeah. But that doesn't exist inside of CSS. So there's like currently an issue that I commented on that somebody else had the same problem on the the repo and it like isn't resolved you can't you can't you basically can't do it so what i ended up having to do which goes back into webpack is i ended up having to write a my own webpack plugin because all the plugins that 
basically replace text inside of a Webpack output don't work correctly. One of them's a loader and there's a one that's a plugin. The plugin one is really old and it's out of date. It doesn't work with Webpack 4. And then the one that is a loader doesn't work because of the way the loaders are run. Like the order at which loaders are run is dependent on, for one, like a Webpack loader only matches, I think it only matches a file once. So it's the, is if you use the one of thing inside of web inside of webpack where it's like loaders, this particular file extension is one of these loaders. It'll only match one of them. So you can't just like add another loader. You can't mm. be like, well, I also want on the SAS file that when you see this prefix inside of it to replace that with another piece of text. Cause the way that I solved it was I created a SAS variable called like CDN RP, REPL for like replace, like basically a replace me variable yeah. inside of the SAS file as a variable inside of the VARS file of the SAS file. And then you can reference that variable to get that unique string that mm. you can then go into Webpack and you can say, hey, if you ever see this extension, replace it with slash cats. Yeah, that's, that's very clever, Greg. I like it. I did that once on a Gulp project where it kind of had to do the same thing where the CDN configuration was different on prod than it was on local. So it had to kind of like switch depending on what the node environment was. So I kind of like did that. But the problem was, is that the loaders don't work. The plugin didn't work. So then I had to write my own plugin to replace that text. And then it assumes that your developer who's working on the team knows that they have to prefix any path that's relative to the project with that variable, that SAS variable. Now, if that was like CSS and JS, or they were using styled components or CSS modules or I guess really just style component. No, CSS modules probably would work too. Anything where you can like pass values to the SAS file, which I, actually I don't think you can do it with CSS modules, but if it was style components, you can pass values through because all the CSS is actually defined in the index. Yeah. You can use the helper that Gatsby provides to do the we pre with prefix. Yeah. But either way, like this is going kind of in like a really interesting direction, but I do like Gatsby, but I think that one of the problems that you have with like these kind of all in one create react app is one of them. Gatsby is one of them. Like all these things that kind of like do a bunch of things for you always fail in these weird, unique use cases, but it's not like you just need to write something to fix it. It's like that library or that process is actively causing an issue with you being able to do X. And it's like, then you go and, and you can't just solve it by writing more code. You have to like go to the repo, ask them a question. Something that they've done is like counter counter to what you're trying to do. So it becomes, it becomes kind of painful. Yeah, I think that's true. I'm, I mean, you start to run into the eternal battle between convenience and configuration. Uh, yeah. Gatsby does take care of a lot of that for you. It gives you a lot of tools out of the box to get you up and going. Mm -hmm. But you're right, it does come up short in a couple of the edge cases. So it's up to you, dear developers, to evaluate all the pros and cons before you use something like this. I've been a big fan of using... Gatsby quite a bit because of all the fun things that it gives you. It gives you a way to start writing React very quickly out of the box. I think it's opinionated enough to help you, but also stays out of your way. Yeah, I don't want to get like the wrong impression like I don't like it. I do actually like Gatsby a lot. It's just that there's there's these there's these interesting things where it's like it's these kind of things are sold as like they're good for everything. And they can be good for everything. They have like a lot of really good tools that make them really easy to use. And it's very uh, appealing to use it to build any kind of anything you want. But then you run into like these weird issues like I was explaining or other ones where um, 
I wanted to have wildcard routes, like because Gatsby is supposed to do static stuff. So if you have like, say you have like a a library, like a like a actual library telling books, and then you're like, I have book twelve or book name the book whatever. Yeah, you can do that by creating like a JSON file that has all the books or an API that has all the books, and then you grab all the books. Gatsby will process all those and it'll create a static page per book. So yep. you don't have to call the API to get the books. That's the idea of like what it's used for. Um, the problem is, is that if you need to make a wildcard route, but you don't have the data at the time to define all the pages, you can't say like book 37 is going to come at a future time without actually overriding the way that the, the routing works. Because in Gatsby, the router is so closely tied and they did change the router, so this might have changed. Gatsby 2 has a different... It's not using... Uh, it's using a reach router. Yeah, it's using a reach router. So it's a different router. So it might be different. And that might be one of the reasons why he's moved away from the other router. Um, the React router. <laughs> the main router. Yeah. Um, but you basically can't say that, you know, book 14 is going to exist at a future time. You have to over... Like, what I had to end up doing was I had to create a higher order component to basically override the router and then inject like a client side router specifically that had nothing to do with the one that's used at server render time to figure out what the, what the books were. Mm. But what I'm getting at is like, that's another issue that I had. I had issues trying to get the pages to exist in folders just because of how I like to write the files. It's everything that they did originally was like page home, page books, page whatever. Um, page library, I don't know, whatever it was, all of those pages existed as like a regular index and I wanted them in folders. You want the pages, the page files? Yeah, the folders? page files to be in folders. Cause mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of like, like a lot of people have the, the view type philosophy about React where they'll say like, you know, I have one file per component and it's always a capped component name because it matches the name of the component inside of the code. So it'll be like, if it's app, it'll be just capital APP yeah. dot JSX. I don't really like that. I like having my folders the old way that we've done it forever, where it's like you snake case everything and you lowercase all the file names, et cetera. And then you'll have like a folder called app. And then in that you'll have an index because I often like will load other assets. Like I'll have the SAS file. I'll have the index. I'll have test file, something, the test file will be sitting next to each other in the folder. And then you go to that one folder and you have everything. Yeah, that makes sense. But like that kind of way of doing it is counterintuitive to the way at least when I did it when I was working on it the first time the first Gatsby project I built it was counterintuitive to the way that Gatsby was set up so I don't know I just it, it's one of these things where like each of these little things are yeah they're very unique cases but they're if it's if it needs to be like a general purpose thing that you use always uh, for like every single use case it kind of doesn't do that well it does depend on what you're building I think the the thing with the routes that sounds like a job for GraphQL, Greg. Yeah, but then, you know, the whole concept of, of Gatsby is that you you do have an API that you can read, and then it kind of prefetches the API to figure out the pages to build. But, like, even the concept of using GraphQL for certain kinds of websites is, extre- is like, way too extreme. Well, the idea with the GraphQL is that you can actually use it to form your API request so you can actually generate that based on the actual response from the GraphQL query. And you have it all formed, all nicely, all your data lined up the way that you want, and then it generates the pages based off of that. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Gatsby documentation has an example of how to use 
GraphQL within Gatsby. And that's the actual example that they use. They have like a, a list of musical artists or something like their Spotify. And they generate a page based off the GraphQL query to this endpoint. And the data that comes back automatically goes through and says, hey, I have a thousand artists. Go through each artist. Use this page template that I've already defined over here. Take all this data from this GraphQL query. Fill it into this page template that I have and generate a page for it and generate a route for it. And then you're done. So that kind of solves a problem that you were talking about with whether or not the data is there when well, you generate the page. It does if you know the pages. That's the problem. Like, what if you're dealing with users who are signing up and you're hosting the site on S3? You have no, yeah. you have no user, Greg, when Greg hasn't signed up. So then you basically have to override that process of Gatsby that creates the static pages and basically say, well, no, I do actually have wildcard routes. And then you can't host Gatsby on an S3 site. It has to be on Nginx because Nginx has to do the rerouting of like, user, blah, 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 wildcard, da, 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 equals this. And then that, when you refresh that, the server has to actually respond with a page that forwards to Gatsby, but you can't do that in S3. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of like going on a negative rant on your hot take well, plus the, pro the, thing. The, the S3 setup is more for a static page, right? It works really well for yeah, but I just, flat pages and you just want to write some React. And yeah. I just wish that there was a way that you could use Gatsby where it was understood that most of your data was not coming into it as static, but certain components were. Mm. Like one of the things that I've noticed that Gatsby does really, really well is that you can host it anywhere, but yet it has server rendered React code, yeah. which is kind of like what React Snap does, where it basically will run, uh, I think it runs, it's not Phantom, uh, the Google one. Um, Puppeteer. 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 It runs Puppeteer and then it figures out how to traverse your site and it says these each of these pages, I know what they are because I can run them in like, fan, let's just say in Phantom. I can run them in Node and be like, I know what that thing is. I'm going to capture it and staticize it and make it into like a, just a flat file. So it can do that. So like Snap is kind of like just that part of Gatsby because it's inspired by Gatsby. It's kind of like that concept of like staticizing pages that are dynamic with React into server rendered code that doesn't require Node to run the server. So that's kind of nice, right? But the thing about uh, Gatsby is that I really wish that there was a way that it could know that I have these set of pages. And I, I think that React Suspense is gonna probably lead to something like this, but just know that like these components rely on data. I want to designate that this component, I know at compile time, at Gatsby compile time, I know that that component is not going to have data. So what Gatsby should server render is the loading state, mm. not the actual data state. So every single time I turn on this app, every single time I load the page, it's going to be a loading state. But then maybe there's this other piece of com other component that I happen to know the data for, even if it's from like a like a like a backend resource or some kind of uh, CMS that's that's headless that I know that this piece of data is not going to change, but then like this piece of data over here is going to be dynamic and is probably not going to be cached. Say it's like a like the the good example of what Gatsby's used for a lot is um, like regular blogs or documentation sites or any kind of like static podcasting sites, like any yep. kind of static thing where you know the bounds of what the pages are. 
it's really good for that. But when it gets into the dynamic stuff, it's not quite as good. But yet the tooling around it is really good. And like the process that it does and how it works is really great. It's really easy to use. It gets everything set up. There's no screwing with Webpack for 10 years to make it work. It just works. Uh, and it supports a lot of really good um, standards, etc. But I just wish that and I hope that when Suspense comes out, there's like a Gatsby light or like a Gatsby dynamic where it's kind of some of the concepts that make Gatsby work but intended to be used with pages where the, the data that you're getting is completely dynamic and is not something that can be cached, but yet you still want the server rendered loading states. You want like your server to return finished markup for something at runtime. Like you don't want flashes of no content. You want those loading states. You right. want those pretty loading states, but you don't want, you know that this thing is never going to be fully rendered. It's never going to be fully cached. So there's like some kind of hybrid approach. Yeah, that sounds like a really weird scenario, Greg. It sounds know. like a scenario that I've encountered like on every single project that I've worked on. Doesn't in an mean agency. it's not weird, Greg. It's, it's, a, it's a thing. Like Small sample size, Greg. I mean, built some pretty big sites. I think you're right, though. It, Gatsby does cover a lot of the modern day web development use cases. It yeah. does run into some problems with the more complicated stuff. But I think you're right. It does it does cover enough cases to where it's useful to understand. It is helpful for building stuff. Yeah, I, and don't get me wrong. I, if someone was building a website, I would not not recommend that they use Gatsby. I would just say really understand what you're doing. Like we're working on a particular project at work right now where some of the people on the team, like they're all really good developers, but they don't quite understand what Gatsby's doing. Mm. The fact that it's trying to cache things. So like when they build components, they'll have like an API request in component did update or component did something, right? They don't know that when Gatsby's running at build time, when you say Gatsby build, it's going to prefetch and it's going to call GraphQL because they are using GraphQL. Yeah. So it's going to call it and it's going to make API requests. So if you put console logs inside of the data acquisition parts of a render, especially with GraphQL, which I know is another thing on your list, if you have like a mutation that runs on render, and it happens to have to render, run on render on its own. Like it's not done based on a user's interaction. Like I need to go to my GraphQL database and I need to grab offers for something yeah. like offers for a product that someone's selling. Well, you need those products to render the page. There's no interaction from the user that says, Hey, go now go get the offers. It's like a, just, it just runs. So if that happens, however that happens in GraphQL, you run the mutation or you go get the data, et cetera. That's going to run on Gatsby build when you're building on this, when you're doing Gatsby build in the, in the CLI, it's going to do that and it's going to go and prefetch that data. But then people don't really know like, well, that data is now stale because I changed the offers. Like, how are you going to tell a product person that without doing a deployment, you're going to have a flash of the wrong offer, which is a new Falc that I just quoted. <laughs> Fra flash, flash of, of wrong new. offer. FOO. Wrong off flash of oh goodness. <laughs> you definitely yeah. need to drop that in the meeting at some point. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. Fowo. Uh so like you know, they'll they'll be the wrong offer embedded in the markup, and then all of a sudden when it rehydrates at runtime, it's gonna have a different offer. Like, but you it's not that that is wrong, it's that people have to understand that's what Gatsby's doing. Yeah. And I think that when you have these libraries that are touted as like, and I don't think that they're they're doing this, um, but it's touted as like an end-all be-all, like easy thing to make React stuff. Like React React, create React app does this. 
And so does, I think, Gatsby in some aspects. People are like, well, you can use it for anything. It's like, it's great. But that part of it that's doing the the actual thing that it claims to do, which is, and, and does well, like the caching of data from like a GraphQL server or whatever, yeah. or hydrating from some kind of API or WordPress or all the adapters that it has, all of those things work really well. But you have to understand that in order to change the data that's at runtime in the the built pre-rendered hard markup that comes from the server is going to be stale the minute you change content. Yeah. So you have to actually do a redeployment of your actual whole application's code base to get new content in it. It'll rehydrate, but it won't rehydrate. It will still, it'll rehydrate, but it'll show you the bad data, which is why I think that there's like a need for it to have some kind of like hybrid mode where you say like this component, I don't ever want you to cache anything but the loading state. And I think React Suspense will bring that in. Yeah. Because React Suspense is the concept that when you go, when a component says that it is requires data, it React itself knows that it can, that it has to wait for the data. So instead of saying like the traditional pattern is like, I've connected this thing with data using something like GraphQL or Redux. And I know that when I get data, this thing's going to re-render with the data. But... In with suspense, you say like, I know that these things are dependent on the data. I want you to render this loading state until the data is present. But you don't have to do that whole thing where you're like, if not, you no, know, not, offers not. dot length. Yeah. <laughs> do the loading state. Because that doesn't always work because sometimes there are no offers. You know, the offers length is zero because there actually are no offers in the offer. service. But there's no way there's to zero tell. Offers. There's the no difference. way to tell. So you run into all these weird issues with rendering where you have these weird conditionals like, well, if I have prefetched data, I have like I have set a state value that says, "Hey, I did go get data." The server responded legitimately with zero offers. Don't show the loading state; show the no offer state, or show the loading state, or show the offer state. Like all that kind of like a whole nother discussion about how much I hate like component did update and react, but Ooh, <laughs> like some of that stuff, worst, man. Worst it's just. Year? Either I fundamentally do not understand how it works, which I don't think is true because it has a very small API layer. Just the the component did update, get derived state from props, which is the new way to get to set state values. And component did mount, component did like that whole circle. There's just so many things that can go wrong in there. I think suspense will help, but well, lifecycle is hard. It is lifecycle is a hard problem. But React has this like actual hard firm. We have these lifecycle methods, and everything else is unsafe. It's going to be deleted. Dangerously, dangerously, sucks. like all the things where they're like, this API method is going away. Like, and then the only ones they have are uh, should component update, which blocks render, which yep. I've done it. Don't try to go the route of like, should component update false until I have data. You run into more if statement hell. You know, there's that. Then there's component did update. There's the concept that like you should just let React render over and over and over again. And you say like, you know, performance, don't let React render all that time much. But then they say, on the other hand, well, if reconciliation doesn't trigger and there actually isn't a difference in the DOM, it doesn't matter if it renders. You talk to different people and they're like, you know, if you put like a console log on your render and you see it render 45 times, some people will be like, that's fine. Because it didn't actually render. Because didn't the actually DOM didn't, anything. Yeah. The shadow DOM didn't change. But at the same time, like I've seen performance issues from those renders happening too often. So I don't know. We'll have to do a whole episode about <laughs> React optimization because that because React is starting to be a big enough thing to where people have to start thinking about yeah. how to optimize things, how to limit your renders, how to not have I flow think, woes. Yeah, 
but well, I, I think it really goes back to Gatsby because like with Gatsby, there's, there's this concept, like that is what Gatsby is supposed to solve is like the, and Redux too, like both Redux and Gatsby tr and GraphQL because Apollo is written on Redux. All of those things are trying to solve the hydration issue in React. Like React does a really good job. If you give it, if you give its render or its component props, it will work correctly. Right. The props are there. It'll render. If the props aren't there, you do an if condition or render a loading state or render a no state. You know, you can control how it works, but the whole concept of like how you initially hydrate and how you rehydrate data is really problematic unless you use something that has guardrails like Redux. Redux has a lot of like bloated things that it does, but it's pretty brilliant in that it provides these, these guide rails of how data gets acquired. And, you know, with Redux, you can trigger uh, loading of data that has nothing to do with a component. Right. But then this whole like route that React's going with um, the render, the render props where like the component, you basically pass a function to a component and then it renders. So that whole thing that, that uh, context providers use to give data to their children forces you to make actions happen within the render, which is yeah. just prime possibility for infinite loops. Yeah. It's just insane because if you, if you're trying to make an API request inside of a component did update or inside of a render, anything before it renders essentially is fine. Usually like component will mount or did well did mount cause they've it, deprecated it will mount, mount. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, if you do something in did mount or construct, it's fine because it will, it, it'll still render, but it'll render with no data. Then the component did mount will get run once component will mount, sorry, did mount or construct will get run only once they'll go get the data and it'll re-render one time with the data. So components that can get away with having component did mount or construct based API requests work fine, but components that are attached to a context provider, they know what their actions that they can do or the data that they have at the time of render. So then you're like inside of a render trying to call an action without a user interaction, you're going to get an infinite loop. You're going to have a bad time, guys. Yeah. That's not so funny. I don't know. But that's like one of the things that, that GraphQL and Gatsby and Redux in their own ways solve some of those problems. But I think that there's like a big there's a big hole missing in React for how you initially get data. Like the, if someone will probably like at me on Twitter and say, it's totally fine, like do this. But when you're actually building this stuff and you get into like these, these intricate situations that are not like crazy, they're just, they're a little crazy. I mean, but they're they still real world situations where you're running into this stuff. Yes. Please at Greg at Greg Gorski on Twitter. Let him know that he's doing react all wrong. I Tell mean, try building up. like a, you know, try building a site for a pretty big client and see what happens. No, nope, you know? these are, these are real world things that you <laughs> run into. Things that right? happen, right? These are things that a framework like react will have to be able to handle in order to actually be big time. I think it can. It's just, I think that there's something missing in my mind with hydration of data initially and acquisition of data and just, you know, in backbone, there was like, there was a disconnection between rendering and getting data. Right. Obviously you could bind components to uh, uh, collections like acquisition of data whenever the collection updates, it would render. But nine times out of 10, the sites that we even built on backbone for years, we didn't even rely on the model updates or the model or collection events. No, they we were didn't just, touch us at all. You never touched them because they kind of like, 
yeah, if you're building like a really simple site and you're like, hey, I'm going to, I know for one that my collection is tied to an API endpoint that actually corresponds to REST, then you can use the like built in mode of how a collection would acquire data. So you could say, hey, go get data. It knows it's going to call a get against a method, right? Maybe it'll have some parameters possibly, but it's going to call some kind of get. You know, you're going to change some data. It's probably going to call a post patch or whatever. You're going to delete something. It's probably going to call delete. Maybe. Or it could call post. Or a V post. Or it's just a post with like an ID. Yeah, because REST APIs. Because REST. Because, well, because some people don't know how to write REST. So whatever. But like those kind of things work really well if you're dealing with like a very specific kind of action, like a very specific kind of app, right? But they don't work when you're trying to build something that maybe sells food online. Mm-hmm. you end up having to like kind of go around it and then like maybe you use marionette but then like there's certain things in marionette that don't work didn't work because no one uses marionette for new projects very much anymore but you know the, it, what i'm trying to get at is like there's these guardrails that these things put on you to try to build apps a certain way and i'm telling you nine times out of ten you're not in the guardrails unless you're building like a blog or you're building something simple like a podcasting app um, or like website or a blog or I don't know, like something uh, like a campaign, like a campaign website, simple, like static website with a little bit of interactivity maybe. Um, but then people would wonder why you're using react to build something that's so simple. I don't know. Why wouldn't you react, use react to build something like that though? Because then you got to deal with servers. Like that's why Gatsby's so good. If you're building a static site and you know that like there's a GraphQL endpoint that has five pieces of data that you need that doesn't change very often. Like you want to give the creatives and the content teams the ability to change content, but when they're going to change content in some fundamental way, they're going to tell you, and then you're going to deploy it. Yeah. Which is typically how it works on like campaigns. It's not like, you know, it's not like a lot of the times you'll find that clients don't even use their own CMSs. Nope. So you're like, okay, well, we built a CMS with all these options and everything that you can do. But then like, is the client updating the content? Nope. No, they're not. They're relying on you to do it. So you're like, well, why did we build a system for a client to use the system in, in the CMS? But then they're not even using the CMS. Yep. And it's it like, gets, why don't we just write code? It way of building yeah. new pages and like you have to account for a lot of things on the CMS side and it becomes kind of a mess. So. Yeah, and that's one reason why Gatsby is so good because you're like, well, if you can get the client to agree that they're not actually going to be changing content that often, but yet you still, like, just say like a, let's just take like an example of a website that's selling a single product, like you're selling like a phone case or something. The content management teams want to go into the headless CMS, you know, Graph CMS is a great CMS, you know, they want to go into that, they want to go into Contentful, they want to go into some headless, relatively inexpensive CMS, which... One of the ways that you can kind of get around the cost of Contentful is use Gatsby because <laughs> you're not making that many origin requests if you're caching everything. Right, but Contentful and Gatsby both work very nicely. Together. They do. But if you're like, if you're saying that, you know, uh, I'm not going to change the content very often on Contentful, but I still want to be able to have someone who's content focused to be able to change like copy and things that are inside of Contentful. You can let them do that to their heart's content. And they, when they say, hey, that data is ready, they publish it. And then you rebuild Gatsby, deploy it out to your site with the new content, QA it, whatever, do all those things. Then every single time someone hits the Gatsby site, they're probably not hitting Contentful because you can turn off the yeah. ability for to hit remote. Like this data is now stale. But you basically just let someone use Contentful to build content. And then you're not having to pay for all the origin requests. 
because Contentful charges per, they like let you have a certain amount of charges per free or, uh, calls for free. Yeah. So you're not making that many origin calls, but yet you still get a CMS. Yeah. So it's a I good don't know. Setup. It is. Contentful's, Contentful is great. They did just get a round of funding very recently. So they're doing really well. Yeah. I mean, they have a really good product. They have a I, great the only product. thing I think that's missing from it, um, totally unrelated, but the only thing it's, I think I saw when you were working on Graph CMS that one time, mm-hmm. Their back end is, is amazing, tip top. Yep. It looks really nice, really easy to use, very, very pretty, pretty yep. very like enjoyable and very joyous to use, whatever the term it's is. It's kind of fun. It has it's a kind of fun, kind yeah. of fun style. It's not, not a super serial yeah. uh, CMS to use. And it works really well. Grat the, the query editor and the thing that allows you to test the queries look, works really well. Uh, it has a lot of good features with enumerations and lists and all the yeah. different data types. And then... Yeah, it's really nice. It works really well. Works really well with Gatsby on the front end. Yeah, yeah. All that, all that GraphQL stuff, I think, is is really kind of going to be uh, one of the technologies that changes a lot of things coming up here in, in 2019. Greg is at Gregorski on Twitter. Send him all your hate tweets there. Yeah. I'll, well, if one comes to me, you'll let me know because you'll yes. be watching. I will keep an eye on your Twitter. Yes. Yeah, That's thank true. you. Thank you. Thank yes. you very much. You can add, you can at the show as well at a public function on Twitter. We post there uh, every time a new episode goes out. Uh, so definitely follow us there to find out if you need to get in touch with Craig, add us there and we'll let you know how to get in touch with Craig. Yeah, I'll be in my hermit zone with yeah. my supercomputer. Doing Ev- eventually, Craig, stuff. you'll you'll have enough mentions where you'll be like, oh, God, I get on. I got to get on this. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. Yeah. So I'm at Al Park. AL Park on Twitter or at publicfunction.show. Email us hello at publicfunction.show. Tell us how wrong Greg is. Check us out there. Greg, are we are we doing a Christmas episode? Are we the Simpsons? Are we doing one next week? I don't I don't know. Probably not. What if we want to give people the, the gift of the public function show? The, this one's going to publish kind of late because I was busy this week. So I mean, they have it. That'll right? hold them like, no, like while they're, they're going shopping and like, they're going to be listening to this between, you know, this week and I, I don't know. I don't want to do like a Christmas special, but if you have like a topic that we want to talk about, then maybe, maybe we do a topic next week. This one kind of turned into a topic, but you know, well, that's the beauty of the show, Craig. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll figure it out. We'll see. We'll see if we do an episode next week. Keep an eye out on that. Follow us at a public function. You'll see if it's there. Yeah. Greg, see you next week. See you next week.